Good morning. How it is good to see you, how, we have, how I've missed you this week. Um, I hope you've missed each other. Um, we're moving along in the service, but I wanted to make sure that uh, we take the time to uh, just greet each other. And so please turn to the person next to you and tell them, uh, I care about you, and please listen to Pastor Silva's sermon. <laughs> Um, especially emphasize the second part, please. We want to welcome our online audience as well. And let's pray for the Spirit to join us this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to ask for that gift that you promise you give to all believers who ask in faith. Sing your Holy Spirit in this place, Lord. May my words be translated to the hearts of everyone here. This I ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Fighting a, a bad cold, Carlos Gomez had decided to sleep by himself that night so he wouldn't expose his wife to his sickness. But that night, as he slept by himself, Carlos Gomez awoke to a nightmare. In the middle of the night, Federal agents poured into his home. They pushed his wife aside, who woke up surprised, and rushed to the bedroom where he was sleeping alone. There, they held guns to his face before slapping him in handcuffs. Carlos Gomez was just a simple UPS driver, but he was scared for his life, and, and he kept asking, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? No one answered him. At least they didn't answer him until he was booked. And when he was booked, he finally discovered that he was being accused of a million-dollar money laundering operation. A million-dollar money laundering operation. A simple UPS driver. Now, Carlos spent two weeks in prison and another seven months under house arrest, a total of 222 days before federal prosecutors realized that it was all a terrible, terrible mistake. You see, a rogue bank worker had stolen the identity of Carlos Gomez, had used it to open up a bank account in his name, and had laundered millions of dollars in his name. What a sad story. But it's not a unique story. Identity theft is one of the largest, fastest growing crimes in the United States. And in 2013, someone became a victim of identity fraud every two minutes, totaling a total of 13.1 million people every year. You might know someone who has had their identity stolen, maybe even here. The cost of cleanup on average is $500. It might not grab national headline, but you add this up and it's close to $21 billion that was lost just in one year. Well, there was one person who did take note of this increasing crime, and that person was the CEO of LifeLock, a company that specialized in its ability to stop stolen identity. In fact, 
the CEO, Todd Davis, was so confident in his company's ability to stop identity theft that he started an advertising campaign that included sharing his social security number. Imagine, he posted his social security number, and by the way, it's uh, right there. <laughs> he posted his social security number on billboards, in commercials, even on the side of trucks, everywhere to promote his company. Well, this was just trouble waiting to happen. The marketing ploy ultimately backfired when he received several reports that showed that his social security number had been used to take out loans and even open new bank accounts. Todd Davis himself had become a victim of stolen identity. The collection agencies kept calling him with uncollected debt that he had never approved. It is suffice to say that his company didn't do too well. You see, what we have to remember about identity theft is that the main tool for identity theft, the one tool of which identity theft would not work without, is something simply called a, a lie. A lie about one person pretending to be another. A lie about a person's identity. A lie about who they are. A lie about what they buy, about what they do. A lie about their identity, as we said. Now, once you change someone's identity, you change everything about them. Now, most people don't want to think about identity theft, and I hope you never have to think about identity theft in your life, but most people come to the realization of what identity theft is when it's too late, when in some way they receive the phone call that they have had their identity stolen. Well, let's go over to the spiritual realm, friends. You might not like to think about it as you may not like to think about identity theft. But the Bible tells us that as followers of Jesus Christ, we have an enemy. And the enemy is mostly silent, mostly invisible, until it's too late and he has stolen your identity. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5.8, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Have you ever thought about this? Satan knows your social security number. Did you know that? Satan knows your birthday. Satan knows your address. He knows your credit card numbers. He knows what you watch. He knows what you hear. He knows who you hang out, what you say. He knows almost everything about you. In fact, the only thing Satan needs to steal your identity is a, is a lie. And he is, in, he is not in any shortage of lies. Because John chapter 8, verse 44, describes Satan as this. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, and he says, You are of your father the devil. Now listen to his next description. For he is a liar and the father of it. Satan knows everything about you, all your information. And he has the lie. And so, friends, identity theft is Satan's greatest attack on humanity. And it began from the very beginning in the book of Genesis chapter 3 when Satan had a starring role in the temptation of Eve and her sin. Do you remember that story? He slithers up to Eve 
and he tells her a lie about the identity of God and about her own identity. He tells her that God cannot be trusted and that he's holding out on her, that God is holding out on her. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like Oh, don't be satisfied with your identity. Now, there's a better identity, knowing good and evil. He flatters her a bit, and then her actions. She took of its fruits, she ate, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Friends, you know the story, and the story is pretty straightforward, but what we miss behind the story is what is beneath or underneath the actions of Eve. What we learn when we look deeper is that our actions and her actions grow out of her beliefs. Now, the real problem of Eve was not her negative fruits, but her negative roots. Or another way of putting it is the real problem with Eve was not her negative behavior, but her negative thoughts or lies from Satan. You see, Satan twisted Eve's picture of God so much that she came to believe that God was not trustworthy. Satan also falsified Eve's picture of herself, giving her a false sense of entitlement to something that was not hers. And once lies become beliefs, they take root in our hearts and bad fruit or sinful behavior naturally follows. The great philosopher Solomon put it this way, as a man thinks in his heart, so is, so is he. So Satan's lies are what led to the very first sin, and Satan's lies are what still lead to sin and suffering. Because friends, there is power in a false belief system in your life. But the good news is that Satan's lies cannot produce sins without producing false beliefs in our hearts and that's where the battlefield is for your identity friends it is in your heart and in what you believe about yourself and what you believe about God so what is that great lie of Satan that produces identity theft what is Satan lying about he has all your information and all he needs is that one powerful lie that will take you away from God. Well, I think that William Ralph Ing said it the best. What is Satan's greatest lie about? He says, it is the image of God reflected in you that so enrages hell. It is this at which demons hurl their mightiest weapons. Did you catch that? That's a powerful thought, that the image of God in you enrages hell. You see, Eve was created in the image of God, his daughter, and Satan convinced her that she could be something more, something better. Satan's lies are designed to attack our truest and deepest identities as sons and daughters of, of God. 
Satan's lies are attack on our identity because he knows that whatever a person believes he or she is inside will become a self-fulfilling prophecy. And Satan has been very successful for a long time with identity theft. So let's make it practical. As a pastor, I entered ministry. And uh, you know, at first, you are taught that the gospel, which is that God sent his son to die for sinners and to confess your sins to him, you will receive forgiveness and he will wash you away from your, of your sins. And do you believe that? I truly believe that. But then as, as you get into ministry, you realize that there's still a lot of brokenness in the church. Am, am I speaking truth or not? Amen. You, you enter church ministry and they don't really prepare you for this before you enter ministry because what they prepare you is to share the gospel and the sharing the gospel, the gospel has changed my life and has changed the lives of millions. But a lot of people in the church are saved but not free, are forgiven but not free. They're still struggling with brokenness in their lives. They're still rageaholics in the church there's still rude people in the church. There's still mean people in the church. There's still people struggling with pornography, eating disorders. There's marriages that are still struggling to stay together. And as pastors, we have a hard time knowing what to do after we've given the gospel to someone and they've received it and accept forgiveness, but they're still dealing with brokenness in their hearts. And the question arises in many pastors who enter ministry, what's missing? What's wrong in this picture? Because we have members who believe in the forgiving power of Jesus. And so they come to the cross, they receive forgiveness for their sins, but then some time passes and they commit that sin again. And then they feel convicted, and then they ask for forgiveness, and they do receive forgiveness, right? And then some time passes, and they fall into that sin again, and they feel convicted of that sin, and then they ask for forgiveness, and they do receive forgiveness. But imagine going through this cycle 50 times. What does that do to your relationship with Jesus? What does that do to your faith in him? It affects it. Many times it destroys it. And that's why many people are leaving the church, not because they have not received forgiveness of sin, but because they have not received freedom. And the problem is that many people are still living their lives with the lie of Satan because Satan has stolen their identity. And so they are forgiven, but they still see themselves as a forgiven liar. They still see themselves as a forgiven rageaholic. They still see themselves as a forgiven person addicted to drugs, alcohol, pornography, whatever it may be, there's still the person they don't want to be and they believe that's who they are. But when Jesus Christ forgives us, he gives us back our true identity. And our true identity, when it comes down to it, is that you and I are sons and daughters of God. 
think about that for a moment. You are a son of the all-powerful, the almighty, the creator of the universe. You are his daughter. When you know who you are and you believe that's who you are, you will no longer be acting like a rageaholic because you know that's not me. I am a son or daughter of God. You will stop being mean because you're not a mean person. You're a son and daughter of God. You're not an addicted person. You're not a broken person. You're a son and daughter of God. And the only way to break free of the brokenness is to stop believing the lies that Satan whispers in your ear. You're not good enough. You will always be like this. This is who you are. Why are you still going to church? Haven't you tried this already? Haven't you asked forgiveness already? And God says, don't believe that. You are my son. You are my daughter. That's who you are. But it's worked so long for Satan. In fact, he's been so successful in stealing identities that when Jesus Christ came to this earth, he thought that he would use his greatest attack on Jesus himself. And so when we turn to the life of Jesus, the Bible is very clear about his identity. The Bible tells us that God the Father called Jesus his son three times during his earthly ministry. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, after Jesus was baptized, the heavens were open, a light shone, and, and the dove came down, and the voice said, this is my beloved son. During his transfiguration on the mountain, again he got the affirmation that he was the son of God, and just before his crucifixion, he also received that affirmation that he was the son of God. But we know that Satan was going to attack him in this area because it had worked for others and maybe it even worked for you. And so he thought, if I could get Jesus to fall in this area, then I've gained the victory. Turn with me to Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, and we see the battle to steal the identity of Jesus from Satan. Uh, Luke chapter 4 and verses 1 through 13. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you, or you could share with your neighbor, or you could, as a last resort, use your phone because, you know, we don't want to get notifications while we're reading. Are you there? Amen? Luke chapter 4, verse 1 says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Being tempted for 40 days by the devil... And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, catch this, if you are the son of God, identity, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. What is Satan trying to get Jesus to do? To doubt his true identity as the son of God. But Jesus responded to him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Verse 5, then the devil taking him up on a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory for this has been delivered to me 
and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. That sound like a good deal to you? I don't have to go to the cross. I don't have to go through this ministry of being rejected by many. All I have to do is acknowledge him, and I get everything. Sound like a good deal to you? Well, here's the lie, and here's the challenge of his identity. If Jesus was the Son of God, if he truly is the Son of God, he already owns all of that. Did you catch that? He already owns all of that. It's like someone coming to my house and saying, give me $100,000 and I'll give you your house. I already own it. And if I give you the money, I'm acknowledging that I don't own it. No, Jesus was not fooled. He knew his identity. Finally, the devil said to him in verse 9, Then he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. The first and the last temptation about his identity had to do with his relationship with his father. How can you be the son of God if you are such, in a such miserable condition? Look at you. You're starving to death. Look at you. You're haggard. You're out here by yourself. No one's with you. You're not the son of God. If you're the son of God, turn these Stones into bread. And the devil says that to you sometimes. Maybe you're going through the valleys of life. Maybe you're going through financial problems. Maybe you're going through health problems. Maybe you're going through divorce, family relationship problems. I don't know what problems. And the devil whispers to you, it's because you're a sinner. It's because you're no good. It's because you have overcome. Maybe you're not even a son and daughter of God. Maybe he's left you. Maybe he's abandoned you. You're not a son and daughter of God. Or else, why would you still be struggling in life? And that's why the prosperity gospel is so popular, right? People are saying, if I have everything, if everything's going good in my life, then I know I'm a son of God. But here Jesus, in his lowest point, knew that he was a son of God. Do you know in your lowest points, the truth that you are still a son and daughter of God. Amen. It's so beautiful to know that when you don't feel it, but you know it, you believe it. Now, it wasn't only in the beginning of his ministry that Jesus was tempted with, if you are the son of God. It was also at the end of his ministry, and I believe this was probably the most difficult time when identity theft almost happened, but Jesus was able to overcome. Because at his trial, Christ was mocked. He was tested. He was tempted by Satan, by the Jewish leaders, by the mob, by Pilate, by Herod, and even the thief on the cross to prove. He was tempted to prove that he was the son of God. Can you imagine being abandoned? His disciples literally ran away from him. Can you imagine being physically abused? They spit on him. They slapped him. They kicked him. 
They hit him with sticks. Can you imagine being tortured? They whipped him with hooks. You know, it's not only a whip, but the hooks would catch on and pull his flesh back. Can you imagine being without food? Can you imagine being alone? Can you imagine being crucified? Can you imagine dying? And at that moment, being challenged with these words. Then the two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and another on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, you who destroys the temple and built it in three days, save yourself if you are the son of God. Come down from that cross. What a moment of temptation to believe that he wasn't the son of God. Alone, abandoned, not even feeling the presence of God himself. He felt that sin had separated him. And at that moment, he could have believed the lies of Satan and lost his true identity. And thus, not given us the power also to be the sons and daughters of God. But Jesus went to his grave, believing and knowing that he was a son and daughter, and that you are a daughter and son of God. Hmm. He was tempted to believe the same negative thoughts we are. About eight years ago in Georgia, eight years ago in Georgia, a man with no identification was found beaten, naked, and unconscious behind Burger King. He eventually regained consciousness, but when they took him to the hospital, they realized that he had developed total amnesia. He couldn't remember anything about himself. For the past 10 years, no one has known who this man is. In fact, the FBI took his fingerprints and his DNA, but they couldn't figure out who he was. Dr. Phil did a national TV show on him but no one claimed to know him. Dr. Phil became so desperate that he even hired a private investigator to try to find this man's identity, but he couldn't discover it either. Now, the man's nurse took him into her home and had him live with her, and she's been gently trying to restore his memory, but to this day, no one knows who he is, and he doesn't know who he is. Can you imagine you come to church today and you have a history, you have a present, you know who you are, you know about your past, but for some reason tomorrow you have a horrific accident and you wake up alone with no one that knows you and you can't remember anything about you, yourself. Everything's been erased. You have no identity. And if people ask you about yourself and, and you don't know. Now, doesn't that sound like a scary thing? Sounds like a scary thing to me. It sounds like a scary thing for this man. But friends, that's exactly what Satan is trying to do to your identity as a son and daughter of God. He's trying to erase or replace it. You might not realize it, but there's a spiritual battle for your identity. And so, who are you going to believe? And I will be a father to you. You shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Satan whispers, 
He doesn't care about you. Look at what's happening to you. Look at your hurts. Look at your pain. Look at your brokenness. Don't believe him. He's not your father. You're someone else. You're not his son. You're not his daughter. Maybe that person is. Maybe that person is. But you're not. Because look, you keep messing up. You keep messing up. How can you be a son and daughter? You're alone. You're not his son or daughter. But then we look to the cross and we see Jesus alone. We see Jesus with the sins of the world on his shoulder. We see Jesus abandoned. We see Jesus stripped. We see Jesus tortured. And still, in all the horror of the cross, he is the son of God. Do you believe his words? Galatians 3.26, For you are all the sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Who are you going to believe? Because who you believe is who will form your identity. And your identity will form your actions. Do you want to break that cycle of, of sin, conviction, forgiveness, sin, conviction, and forgiveness? You can break it this morning. You could break it right now if you realize that you are not a forgiven sinner, but you are a son and daughter of Christ. Because the sinner part has left. That's no longer part of your identity. Your identity is a son or daughter. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of, of God, your true identity in him. My favorite story, or one of my favorite stories in the Bible, is the story of the prodigal son. Do you guys remember that story? Uh, do you guys enjoy that story as well? Who do you identify yourself as in that story? Some of you say maybe the older brother, maybe the, maybe the prodigal son, Hopefully not the friends that took him out to partying. Hopefully none of the animals. What I like about this story so much is that it shows how God views our identity. Because in the beginning of the story, how did the son begin? What was his identity? He was a, he was a son of the father. But was he satisfied with that identity? Was he happy with that identity? No. He didn't want to be around his father. He wanted nothing to do with his father. In fact, he wanted to take everything from the father that was due him and leave the father and to find his own identity. And he did for a while, right? And it went good for a little bit. He found people who liked him, who partied with him, who he had a good time. But after a while, that other identity dissatisfied him. His other identity did not make him happy. His other identity led him to a pigsty by himself, starving, not even being able to eat the food of the pigs. And at that moment, and at that moment, and here's a mistake that many Christians do, at that moment, he wanted to go home to the Father, right? But what was his mistake in the mistake of many Christians? He wanted to go home to the Father, not as a son but as a as a servant many many christians have returned to the father but have still brought their false identities with them whether it's a servant whether it's abused whether it's traumatized whether it's broken 
that's how you see yourself. You brought that when you came back to the father. But when the prodigal son came to the father, and in his mind, he was going to tell his father that I am not worthy to be your son, I will be a servant. The only way the father would accept him, this is the beauty of it, the only way the father would accept him was not with new clothes, was not with a bath, was not with anything other than as a son. The only way you could come back to my house is if you are my son, or in your case, his daughter. Some of you are here in the church and you've returned to God, but you're holding on to false identities. And today I want to show you that God wants to accept you as his son and or daughter. He wants to accept you in your true identity. Don't believe the lies of Satan because they will affect your identity. They will affect your actions. They will affect your life. They will affect your relationship with others. They will affect your relationship with God. Don't let Satan steal your identity. I traveled to Guatemala with my little cousin, and uh, he grew up in the United States, but as is customary with a lot of people from Guatemala, we try to help immigrants that come from Guatemala, so many times they can't get jobs anywhere, so we hire people in our homes to help us to do laundry, cook food, to watch the kids, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, they become almost like part of the family. A lot of times they live in your home with you. Well, my cousin had had someone from Guatemala um, stay with him in their house since he was a little boy. And we decided as a family to go take a family vacation trip to Guatemala, and we decided to go visit this lady in her village, out in the outskirts of Guatemala, some poor village in the middle of nowhere. Now, the interesting thing about my little cousin is that he looks different than the rest of his family. His family is very light-skinned, but he is very, you know, darker skin. We call him moreno, which is, you know, brown skin per se. And so we show up to this little village in the middle of nowhere, and they leave me, my older cousin, and Bronco, who's the moreno, with us in the car. And uh, all of a sudden, we get mischief. Yes, you know, you can't leave three little boys in the car together. They get in trouble. So me and my older cousin decide to tell the truth, the truth to my little cousin. We said, the real reason we've come to Guatemala to visit this lady who helped you when you were little is not because she's a friend of ours. It's because in reality, she's your real mom. You should have seen the eyes of this boy. His eyes grew wide. His lips started to quiver. He started to cry. And then we realized we, we had made a mistake. He started to scream out, I want to see my real mother. I want to see my real mother. And all our family came and, and they said, what's going on? And he, well, he told on us that we had told him that he was not the son of his mother, but he was someone else. Today, someone has been telling you that same lie. And it's not me. <laughs> It's Satan. And I want to invite you this morning. If you have seen yourself as something else other than a son or daughter of God, something lower, 
something worse. And it's becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy because as you view yourself, that's what you are. But today you want to reclaim your identity, not with that company that couldn't even help its CEO, but with that power of the word of God. You want to say, you know what? I am a son of God. I am a daughter of God. And that's how I'm going to live my life today and every day. How many of you have had your identity stolen by Satan? And today you want to recognize and say, Jesus, give him back your identity as a son or daughter of Christ. Amen. Amen. Dear Jesus, thank you that you did not fail this test of identity so that you could give us the power to be sons and daughters of Christ, of God, of the Heavenly Father. Help us to believe that so that we leave this place acting like sons and daughters of you. This we ask in the name of Jesus Christ to make us in your image. Amen.